down and finding lights on. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to keep going in this, and I'm going to keep going around, and I'm going to keep turning lights off. It's a journey I have begun, and because the situation isn't going to change anytime soon in the world around us, and bills still need to be paid, I need to persevere. And as I thought about this, I thought, actually, there's lots of things in life that I have to just keep going with. I have to keep persevering. Is there something you can't just take your foot off the gas on those things? I thought about trying to stay, stay in shape. This takes effort. I just want to just want to let you know I have to keep exercising. I have to keep persevering. It's not something I can just do once a week for one week and then that's it. I have to keep going. I have to watch what I eat and have to keep going and keep persevering at what I take in, the good stuff that I have to keep eating and then the bad stuff I have to cut down on to make this happen. My wife is very pleased. I have to keep doing that. I have to keep reading my Bible every day. I have to keep going in that. It's not something that you get away with reading once and then walking away. It's something I have to persevere in. You'll be pleased to know I cleaned my teeth this morning. Something I persevere in and, and I've lost. Like I said, it takes effort. I have to keep going in my marriage to be a good husband to my wife. It's not something that I can just make a bit of an effort in. Some of us were at a wedding just on Friday, put all the effort on the day, and then after that you're like, I'm done, tap out. <laughs> Next 50 years are sorted. No, you've got to keep going in these things. I've got to keep going as a father for my boys. I've got to keep working with them. I've got to keep leading them, training them, loving them, being around them. It's something I have to keep going. And what we're going to do as we get into Mark's gospel today, we're going to look at what it means to keep going, keep persevering with Jesus. And so we're in Mark's gospel. It's our last one before Christmas. Next week, we start our Christmas series. We've got three weeks of that. Then we'll have a break for Christmas because we can't have the, a whole and then in the new year, we'll pick back up with Mark's gospel. So it's the last one. Uh, for now, we have had uh, Jesus demonstrating. Last week, we heard it's all about he demonstrates his power over the physical world and the spiritual world when he calms the storm and then casts out demons. If you missed that, please catch up online. And we're going to pick up with the story right from then. Um, and I'm looking at Paul. It's going to appear on the screen behind me, so please follow along. And Paul and team are going to read it to us. Okay, uh, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And we went with him, and he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, 
You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked round to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone, some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why you trouble the teacher and any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. He went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Fantastic. Thank you very much, those who prayed. Okay, there's some Stories there, if you're familiar with your Gospels, it comes up in other Gospels, that story of Jairus and the woman of blood is known to us. So let's just dive in, and we've got two intertwined stories here, the healing of Jairus' daughter and the woman with the issue of buzz who actually remains unnamed throughout the passage, so that's how she is known. Now these two stories have some similarities, if you look through them, why are they together, why are they here, what's going on here, both of them contain hopeless cases. The hopeless case of the girl who is dying, but also the hopeless case of the woman who has the issue of blood. Both of them involve Jesus coming into contact with uncleanness, which in the form of the woman with the issue of blood and death of the dead woman were ritually unclean. We looked at that in the um, story uh, in when we did Leviticus at the beginning of the year, plus it's come up already in Mark's gospel, if you've been following along. Both of the stories contain a female who is touched by Jesus in both situations. Jesus refers to these two, the two women, the daughter and the woman, the issue of blood, either as little girl or daughter. He, he, he connects with them on a personal level. Both of the woman's age 
um, of the little girl and also of how long the woman has had her condition are both marked at 12 years in there. And in both, in both situations, both stories, Jesus is told off, which we'll come to, which I always find amusing when people get around to telling Jesus off. But what we also find in both situations is the persevering faith of those involved, of both Jairus as the father and also the woman with the issue of blood. So we're going to go through the passage. I want to look at a desperate father, a despairing woman, a devastated father, and a disappointed savior. So the first one, a devastated, a desperate father. I haven't told you the big idea, have I? Let me just go back to that. I've missed that out. Following Jesus requires persevering faith. Following Jesus requires persevering faith is what we're going to look at. All right, the desperate father. Now he comes, Jairus, and he is a senior position. He is the ruler of the synagogue, which means he has authority, he has power, he's the one who runs the synagogue. He's not necessarily the preacher there, because we find Jesus preaching in synagogues and stuff, but he's the one who basically runs, makes it happen, organizes the worship, organizes the prayers. So he has stature in the town, stature in what it is. And, um, and, and the area where Jesus is. They would have known him. He would have been a known public figure. Yet he comes to Jesus, and all his authority and position mean nothing. And he comes before Jesus, and he kneels in humility before him. He recognizes the higher authority that Jesus is. Despite all his status, despite who he is, Jairus comes to him, and it says he fell at his feet recognizing who Jesus is and recognizing the limits of his own authority. He'd have had lots of power. He could have done a lot of things, but he realizes the situation he's in, he's at the end of himself. Why is that? Well, let's look at his plea. Because he says to Jesus, my little daughter is at the point of death. Basically, the point of death means she's at death's door, fading fast, we would say. She hasn't got long left. It's the end for her, and he is facing the worst nightmare of any parent, which is the loss of a child. And it's something that he is kind of looking straight in the eye. And he comes to Jesus because he recognized there's someone there who can do something about it. So he kneels before the, high, um, the higher authority. And Jesus, when facing him, enters into his pain. He says he stops and he's Looking to, her, he looks at him and he says, he says "Come, make my daughter, uh, my daughter well." So it is a plea that anyone who's been involved with kids will know what that is like. But then, he's a crowd is round him. He's going to go with Jairus, and they're thronged around him. And it says, then another character enters the scene, a desperate woman. So she comes alongside. So we've got the Jairus kneeling for Jesus, saying, "Come, heal my daughter." Jesus is like, okay, respond, and then this woman appears. But she doesn't appear, obviously. Jairus would have come, everyone would have known who he wanted, he'd have knelt down, everyone would have seen it. She is sneaking through the crowd. She is hiding there. Maybe she had a hood up over her. She's trying not to be noticed. She's the opposite of what Jairus is doing. And it says in the passage that she suffered, described it as a disease in verse 29. And that word is also used for um, if you were torturing someone, to whip, to flog, to, to, to inflict pain. And so she is going through a horrifically painful time. She is in torture, both physical and mental. And Mark outlines her suffering. It says she suffered under many physicians. She's exhausted all her money. And she hasn't even improved. In fact, she's got worse. So she suffered much 
From many physicians, she's exhausted all her resources and she's gained nothing. In fact, it's been taken from her. Her situation has got so bad. She is an, another one in a hopeless situation. She's got nothing left. And according to the Torah, um, the first five books of the Bible, the law, if um, when the woman was on her period, she was considered ritually unclean. Now, that doesn't mean sinful. It just meant impure, before, come before a holy God. And we looked at it in Leviticus about actually there was a period, then you become clean, and you could come clean for lots of things, coming unclean, sorry, and then you'd have to go through a ritual, become clean before you could enter God. The fact that she had an issue of blood for 12 years meant it was ongoing, meant she'd been unclean for that entire period of time. What did that mean practically for? That means that she would not be able to enter the community of the people of God. She wouldn't have been able to go to the temple and worship with all the festivals, um, um, times of years. Again, we looked at in Leviticus. She would have been outside that. So she was someone who was excluded from God's people and God's presence because of what had happened to her. So she was in a terribly isolated place. Her disease had separated her from God's people and God's presence. So that's her situation. Her action, what does she do? Well, she, we don't actually know her exact motive. It doesn't say, but we know she's after Jesus. And Mark simply puts, if you look in verse 27, there's three things she did. It says she heard, she came, she touched. Which for Mark is code for a disciple. Someone who hears about Jesus and does something about it. She's heard about him. He's the healer. He's the one. He comes from God. He does mighty works. He teaches with authority. There's something about him, and she's heard it, and she wants to respond. And we've seen it through Mark. Men and women who've responded, and we've all seen those who've rejected. But she's one who's heard it and responds. So she is a disciple. She wants to come to Jesus, and she's coming to approach him in faith. He knows, if I just get to Jesus, things will be sorted. And in a moment, it says he touched her. She touched him, sorry. And in a moment, 12 years of pain dealt with. And that's it. 12 years of pain, her face is, I'm coming to Jesus, and it is just dealt with. Shame, frustration, loss, all gone by a touch from Jesus. But then we have the woman's fear because it quickly changes. It says, Jesus, perceiving that power had gone out of him, he knew something had happened. He had knew something had happened. And he says, it's a crazy question. Who touched my garments? And then the disciples respond, Jesus, duh, we're in a crowd. There's people thronging around us. You ever been in those crowds? Just to let you into my world. I hate them. I hate being pushed and shoved and being close like that where it's hot and there's people all around. That's where Jesus has been. They're, they're touching you. One of the worst places you've ever been on the tube in London during rush hour. And you just, just got to cram in like that and Jesus says who touched me and the disciples respond just as I would like Jesus anytime you start a sentence Jesus duh you're wrong okay because that's why it's like there's all these people around you Jesus they all they're all touching you all pushing and shoving it's all going on but Jesus is is, is, is like a dog with a bone I want to know who did that who was the one who came who was the one who touched me? And it says the woman came forward. The woman came forward. Now what Jesus is after here, Jesus isn't someone who just dispatches miracles. He doesn't want a miracle. He wants a meeting. He doesn't want to just dispatch things for people. He wants a relationship 
with people. So he wants to know who it is. Who's the one there? I want to know her. I want to meet her. I want to meet her face to face. I'm not about just getting needs met. Discipleship is not about that. It's about having a relationship and being in the presence of the Savior. And it says, the woman comes with fear and trembling. Which one, on one hand, that's a good way to approach God. That's how we approach God. But in the same way, she is realizing that what she has done, she's broken the Torah. She shouldn't be going around touching people when she's unclean. She definitely shouldn't be touching a rabbi and what he's done. She shouldn't be in the presence of all these people. So she comes, she doesn't know what's going to go down. Is, it, is there something going to be a throwdown? And she's going to end badly in there. And it says, this is what I find fascinating, it says she confesses what she's done. Disciples confess what they've done, and they confess it to God. She comes before Jesus, and she tells him everything. This is who I am. This is what I've been. This is what I've done, the decisions I've made, the good and the bad. So she's got some of the things she's been through, some of the things she's done, which I mean, I'm sure people standing around be like, you did what? But she confesses it all to her Savior. But it's Jesus meets her with compassion. Jesus meets her with love. Jesus meets her with tenderness. In her pain and her suffering, he is merciful to her. And we looked at that in the summer series when we looked at the name of God from Exodus. What do we say? He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Jesus just shows it to her there. He is merciful to her in what she's done, and he proclaims healing and restoration over. He says, go in peace, shalom, peace, full kind of restoration, everything, mind, body, and soul. You've been restored to God. You've been restored to his people. Jesus blesses her and honors her for her faith in what she's done. She is completely set free from what bound her. Go back to the story. goes on. We now have a devastated father because while this has been happening, Jairus was desperate, the woman was despairing, and now the bomb goes off. Verse 35 says, while he was speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother him anymore. It's, it's, you know, too far gone. No point taking up his time anymore. And while he's doing so, he now enters the worst nightmare, the worst news a parent can ever get. Your child is dead. It's over. Job done. There's nothing more than anyone can be doing anyone can do about it and the inevitable conclusion of that is don't bother Jesus anymore because there's nothing he can do in this situation this is an absolutely devastating moment for the father he has lost everything in the death of his child but then we see the father's faith because Jesus overhearing this he doesn't address it directly but he speaks straight to Jairus what does he say he says two things he says do not fear only believe don't be afraid don't trust in that, don't give in to that, but actually trust in me. Put your faith in me. It's another example of, we've seen this in Mark, of the present continuous. Jesus says, believe in me and keep believing in me. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't quit. Look at me. You came to me. I'm the one you came to. I'm the one you fell on the floor in front of with your needs. Keep looking at me. Don't let the other circumstances of life shape you, drive you. Always keep your eyes on me. So he says to me, don't um, fear, only believe. Look to me. And then he says, they come to the house and he takes Peter, James, and John 
um, who are kind of like the inner circle of the disciples. We've, we've seen the 12 have been appointed. But Peter and James and John seem to be the inner circle who go with Jesus for significant events and moments. And they go to the house. And what we find at the house is the wailing and commotion, which I found out, and it always amuses me, is that they were, the mourners at the time were a professional guild. They had a union. And that when there was a death, they would, it was required to have mourners at funerals. You had to have them. You had to pay them. They had to come to funerals. So they're there, and they're like, we've been paid. We're going to go for it. We're being, so there is wailing and mourning. So the pros are there. I imagine family and friends who were also upset, devastated by the news of everything that was happening. And then Jesus comes along and says, don't worry. Why is this noise happening? She's just sleeping. And again, people, <laughs> they've done it again, they laugh at Jesus. She's not sleeping, she's dead. What do you know? Who are you? What's going on? And we often find in the Bible, it's a euphemism for death, but it's those who sleep, who fall asleep in the Lord will one day rise again. We know that for those who die in Christ will one day rise again. And Jesus is using the similar language here for this girl, although there is a lot more immediate response to that than those who wait for the end. And then we get the Father's joy. It says this, he goes into the room, he takes the father with him, and he goes to the little girl, and he says, and Mark actually keeps the original Aramaic that Jesus would have spoken, that Talithakumi, but then he translates it for his Roman readers, little girl, I say to you, arise, a touch from the Savior. And what does it say happens? Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She just got up. This girl had died. We don't know what, what was wrong with her. We don't know what caused her death. In one sense, it's irrelevant. Mark didn't bother, doesn't bother writing it down. What we need to know is Jesus was more powerful than death. And he just takes her by the hand and says, get up. And she rises to life. And their reaction, understandably from everyone, is overcome with amazement, it says. They were astonished at what Jesus had done. But then he says, Jesus says, give us something to eat. Give us something to eat, a testimony that she's alive and well, she's eating. But then he says, um, he charged them not to tell anyone. And we've come across this in Mark several times with the theme of secrecy that runs through, that people don't understand who Jesus is as Messiah. They get the wrong idea as he wants to keep it quiet, he wants to keep it within a community of faith. Because if others get the wrong idea, it could go badly wrong with the Romans. So he, he charges them not to tell. But the father obviously would be overjoyed. His daughter is alive and well and returned to him. And so what we've got here, we've got Jairus and the woman are both uh, victims of desperate circumstances, and they have no hope apart from Jesus. Other than this, though, there were some differences between them. Jairus was a man of power and authority. He was respected, and he had the clout to even call for Jesus, for Jesus to take note of who he was, because he was in a significant position. The woman, on the other hand, was an outcast. She was unclean. She had no money or power or position or authority. She didn't even get a name in the story. That's why I have to keep referring to her as the woman with the issue of blood. She even approaches Jesus from behind while Jairus comes from the front. But one of them is the exemplar of faith, and that is the woman who kept going to Jesus. Because when Jesus said to him, only believe, the example he had was who? The woman who'd just been healed because she had persevered and gone after him. And wouldn't stop. She came, she heard, she came, she touched, and she was to believe. And in response to that, Jairus then believes too. But actually, the woman, the outcast, the outsider, 
the one who you would least think to be example, it actually becomes our example of faith, the one who perseveres, the one who wouldn't let life circumstances stop her getting towards the Savior. And the knock-on effect is that Jairus sees it, and he too believes, and he too receives from the Savior as well. And then if we follow on the story to the final part, those last sort of six verses, we find a disappointed Savior. Jesus goes home after this big day. We've heard about Nazareth in chapter 1. Uh, and we've seen in the, the chapters between chapter 1 and where we are now, in chapter 5, beginning of chapter 6, Jesus has done incredible things. He's had power over nature, power over uh, the demonic, power over disease and death. And he has taught, and people have been amazed for it. And he goes home. We don't know why, but he goes home, maybe to see family, have a little bit of rest. And what we find here is the contrast to the previous chapter. What we found is faith. And all that it happens, and now we find total rejection. So Jesus is in his own town. Nazareth, it's a small, unimportant place. It's not even mentioned in our Old Testament. Um, it's not even prominent in extra-biblical sources. It's just kind of a, a nowheresville. But there he is, and his disciples are there with him because they would have followed him. And as is custom, Jesus was in the, uh, in the synagogue on Sunday, or Sabbath. He would have been in church on a Sunday. That's where he went, and he was teaching there, and he showed wisdom and people knew of his mighty works, but the response is he's rejected. Instead of amazement, which we've just seen, there is a negative response. Rather than celebrating what God is doing amongst them, they are skeptical and they seek to discredit his ministry. So the contrast of Jairus and the woman of, with the issue of blood, and now in his hometown where people know him, they refer to him as just, they don't even refer to him by his name. They just say this man in verse 2. It's like, dude, he's got a name. But no, he's just this man. Who is this man? Who do we think he is? He's described as a carpenter, just like a manual laborer. It wasn't a bad profession. It was just ordinary. He just did an ordinary job. Definitely not a, a rabbi, a teacher. He's just, he's just a carpenter. He's referred to son of Mary. His father's name isn't used, which can be seen as insulting. And rather than going through the father's line, which would have been normal, no, he's just he's son of Mary. And then he's, just got, oh, he's got brothers and sisters. So he mentions his family there, and it's like, well, we just watched his kid grow up. You know, who is he? He's just distinctly ordinary, and all of them are designed to discredit Jesus and bring him down and put him on a level with them. And it says at the end, what did they do? And here's the key. They took offense at him. They took offense. There was a stumbling block. They were put off. They were repelled. And from Mark and the Gospel writers, it, re it represents an um, a objection to faith in Jesus. And once again, we find a situation where those closest to Jesus can't see it. Proximity to Jesus doesn't necessarily mean faith in Jesus. These people have known the longest. They should be the most familiar and they should see there's something different about him. And then when they hear about his works and he's demonstrating, they're like, yes, I'm putting it all together. But instead, they're saying, no, I don't want anything to do with him. Who do you think he is? He's just some ordinary guy from the town. We won't do that. And we take offense to him. They chose offense over the minor and missed the major. Just because he's just one of the kids who's just grown up now from the town. And in turn, Jesus then quotes a piece of um, local wisdom for the time saying a prophet is not without honor except in his own town among his relatives in his own household. And he's basically saying that they just, they're not seeing it. 
They're not doing it. Uh, he is the prophet from God. He's the, mighty he's the mighty one who's come, and they just can't see it. And it says he was, he marveled. Jesus often marvels at things in the gospel, but here he's marveling at their unbelief. He is amazed. We've had amazement by people who've seen him do incredible things. Now Jesus turned to be amazed, and he's amazed, he's amazed that people don't see it and don't believe. Their hardness of heart has stopped them seeing who he is. And it says he couldn't do uh, the mighty works because of that, because of that lack of faith. We see on one hand, we've got Jairus and the woman of issue of blood. They, with their faith in Christ, seeing who he is, what happened? Amazing things. On the other hand, these people choose not to believe. They choose to reject. And as a result, they don't receive a reward. They don't receive anything from it. It says Jesus could not do mighty works there. And so what does this mean for us as we kind of bring this in, finish this up for us We've got to ask ourselves a question. There's effectively two types of people in this passage. And the question is, which one are you? Which type are you? There are those who persevere. There are those who choose to go after Jesus, who to put their faith and trust in him. And in the, in the, in, 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 when obstacles come their way, they keep going. They keep moving forward. But there are those who choose to take offense, who become hard-hearted, who choose to reject Jesus. And this is just the outworking of what we looked at at the beginning of chapter 4. We had the section on the parables. We took a whole Sunday looking at those sections. We saw that actually that the sower sows the seed. Jesus was the sower. He sows the seed, the word of God. But the seed lands on different ground. And some of it is hard and rocky ground. And as a result, the seed doesn't take root. But some is soft ground, good soil. And as a result, the seed takes root. And what happens? There is a harvest, 30, 60, 100 fold. Who reaped the harvest in the story? Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood. Who failed to reap any harvest? The people from Nazareth. People who said, nope, we're not going to have anything to do with him. They hardened their hearts. And so the question comes for us now, are you going to be one who perseveres? Are you going to be the one who keeps going in times of trial and difficulty? Are you going to be the one who keeps going after Jesus when it looks hopeless and all is lost? Are you going to stay soft-hearted to him and open to him? Are you going to bring your faith the size of a mustard seed, because Jesus says that's all you need, and you're going to put it in him? And get the reward of that. Or the opposite, are you going to be one who takes offense at Jesus? That takes offense because he doesn't fit your mold, your expectation, your anticipation. He's not the kind of savior that you had in mind. He doesn't fit what you want. Are you going to take offense, become hard-hearted and stubborn? Because that's the manifestation of it. People who are soft-hearted and they're going after Jesus and they're going to persevere isn't just a case of gritting your teeth and bearing it and just, I'm just going to keep going. It comes out an attitude of heart that they love their Savior. They want to be with him. They want to be with his people. They want to be part of his plans and purposes. When the hard things of life hit them, they don't, it doesn't mean they don't um, get upset or hurt by those, but in that, in that pain, they keep going. 
They don't let bitterness take a hold. They don't let unforgiveness come and rob them. They don't sit there and be angry at God or his people. But the hard-hearted ones are the ones who let stubbornness come in, who let bitterness come in, who let rejection and slights come in. They get really cross when they find out God's people are as imperfect as they are. And then they put it all on Jesus. Well, that's his fault. He's done that. And actually, no. We're to be people who persevere and keep going. We're to be people who repent of our sins, who put it right when we can with, with, with people we might have fallen out. We don't let it taint our view of who Jesus is. And we keep going after him because he has called us to himself to follow him. But he's made us part of a family that we do it together and we work forward. And so are we going to keep persevering? Are you going to keep going with a good and open heart? Are you going to keep believing and not give in to fear and everything that's happening? And the world and what we consume loves to just drill that home with us, with the, the bile that we find on the TV and the internet just coming at us. And actually, no, we're going to trust Jesus. We're going to give our faith and we're going to give our life to him. And we're going to keep pushing after him, even in the midst of trials. 12 years that woman had that situation, physical and emotional torment, but she kept going because she knew the only place she could find peace, the only place she could find wholeness was with Jesus. And she was restored to Jesus and she was restored to God's people. Amen? Do you want to stand up? Please stand up. Please stand up. I'm going to pray for us today because I think there's a lot in there a lot for us to process. And then we're going to put our eyes on Jesus and come to him. And we're going to cry out to him and we're going to put our faith and trust with him. The first thing I'm going to talk talk about, maybe you want to close your eyes, open your hands. Some of you are in a situation, I guess like Jairus and that lady, where it seems pretty tough, it seems hopeless. Maybe you're not quite there to the full hopelessness, but you can see where it's going. It's been really difficult. It's been really tough. And I think Jesus understands that. Jesus sees that. And what we've seen from the story is he looks on those people with compassion. He said to that woman, daughter. He didn't have to use that word. He could have just said, woman. Daughter, your faith has made you well. And he said to that little girl, and with his dad watching, wake up, little girl. Jesus knows where you are. He has compassion on you. He's with you in the situation. He is merciful. And he's asking you, keep going. Keep coming after me. Keep looking towards me. Keep looking towards me. And if you know you're in that situation, bring it to Jesus again now. Cry out to him again and say, this is where I'm at. Look to him. You've heard. Now come and touch him. But there are others amongst you who you know where you're kind of, there's areas of your life you're slipping towards being like one of those people from Nazareth. Who you just, you've taken offense at something and someone, somehow, and you've put it on Jesus and you've got bitterness in your heart. You've rejected things. There's people you can't think well of. Even among the family of God, there's people, there's other Christians who are just as imperfect as you think, oh, they're horrible. They've done this, they've done that. And actually God says, don't give in to that hard-heartedness. Don't miss the big stuff on the minors. Forgive. If you know there's people there, that God's probably put them on your heart and your mind now. Forgive. Reconcile. 
Look for the good. Look to him. If your things, when you look at God, some of you need to forgive God, which sounds weird, but actually we can put our expectations on God, and then when he doesn't do them, we almost cross at him. Some of you need to forgive him. Get right with him. And we need to be men and women who just keep going after Jesus. Not in a begrudging, all right then, I'll keep going. But actually, no, he's the only one I can go to. (laughs) He's the only place I can find my wholeness, my restoration, my forgiveness, my healing, anything. So I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit of God, we ask you to come now, fill us. Lord, we pray for ourselves, our family, this church family, God, that we be men and women who persevere after you in the face of trials and difficulties. Lord God, we ask you to forgive us where we've given in to being hard-hearted and stubborn. God, we pray you restore us afresh. Let us see you afresh. Let us open our eyes. Let us come kneel before you. Proclaim who you are, Lord Jesus. We love you. We worship you. God's people said, Amen.